Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Central Wired podcast, and thanks for listening in. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwired.com or on Facebook and Instagram. We hope this week's message meets you right where you're at. Enjoy. Hey, everybody, glad you're here. I thank God for you. Um, you know, I'm really grateful to be surrounded by so many people who sense God maneuvering, arranging, orchestrating in their lives, drawing them here to be closer to him. And you said yes. My highest hope that you will profoundly experience, that you will authentically encounter the victorious Jesus over the next several moments. And that his victory in every aspect will become your victory for every area of your life. Um, That you will experience a renewal, a spiritual renewal. Because when you are spiritually renewed, you get stronger, you get greater strength, stronger relationships, stronger emotionally, stronger mentally. It's, this, it's as if God breathes strength over your soul. Now, I've been the pastor here for a long time, pushing uh, 39 years. And over the last 30 years, for sure, I've watched God. You guys are awesome. They're all related to me. No, but the deal is I've watched God uh, move wave after wave after wave of spiritual renewal over this church. Um, Maybe 31 years ago, we were a small church, 250 uh, people worshiping God on the weekend, and bam, overnight in 1990, all of a sudden, he began to draw 500 weekend worshipers to this place. And then the next year, we had to start a Saturday night service to hold everybody. It was over 600 worshipers. The next year, 700. The next year, 900. The next year, we built the Family Life Center, over 1,000 worshipers. Next year, 1,200. Next year, 1,400, 1,600, 1,800. We built this room, and now over 2,000 people make this their place of worship at one of our campuses in two languages each weekend. Now, the the point of me saying that is that it's never been a David thing. It's not a you thing, although you are extremely good looking. No, it's a God thing. Who but God could grow a church from a couple hundred to a couple thousand? It's just wave after wave of people. You see, the numbers are things on the outside that you can count. What you cannot measure is what happens on the inside when God renews your spirit and restores your soul. It's marked, here's what it looks like in a church. Number one, fake churchgoers. Have you ever known any of those? Probably we've all been guilty of being fake churchgoers. But when you are spiritually renewed by an authentic encounter with the living Lord, you go from fake churchgoer to real deal Christ follower. You, you go from um, whatever kind of Christian, apathetic, to a passionate, all in, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength kind of Christ follower. 
and, and, and people outside the church are attracted, irresistibly drawn by the beauty of Christ inside the church. That's what renewal looks like when God gets his way. And so, um, those of you who lead small groups in our church, I apologize right now for not preaching the sermon I was supposed to preach today. But I had an encounter with the Lord of my own this week, and this is what he told me to tell you. It's the story of Jacob. Here we go. Word of God together. During the night, I mean, you can't see your hand in front of your face. It's in the wee hours that Jacob couldn't sleep anyway. He gets up, wakes up his two wives, their two female servants, his 11 sons, and together that family crosses over the Jabbok River. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. Now this left Jacob all alone in the camp in the middle of the night. And a man, capital M, man, the M is capitalized because I believe it is Jesus. When Jesus, thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, would walk the dusty uh, roads of this earth, he was called incarnate, God in the flesh. Well, this is thousands of years previous, and so now Jesus is called the pre-incarnate Christ. He comes, just like in the burning bush, you know, Moses in the burning bush, the voice, the person in the bush that is a flame and the flames won't go out, that was Jesus. Now, I don't have time to prove all this to you. I'm just telling you, capital M, man, this is the Lord. The Lord came and wrestled with Jacob for hours until dawn began to break. And when the man, Jesus saw that he would not win the match. He barely, that's what the Hebrew word here means, a bare touch, like a, like a feather, just like a feathery touch on Jacob's head. And it is violently ripped out of its socket, wrenched out of socket. And then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. Because if you see the face of God in the light of day, you are toast, you are dead meat, you are done, you are dead. Six feet under. Kick the bucket bought the farm. But let me go. Dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What's your name? Now, the Lord knows Jacob's name, but Jacob means manipulator. And all his life, he's been a liar, a cheat, a deceiver. What's your identity? He replied, Jacob, well, your name will no longer be liar, deceiver, manipulator, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, God wrestler. This is how we know this is an authentic historical account because modern day Israel is named after this name change. God wrestler. You wrestled with God and you've come through. So Jacob says, well, please tell me your name. And a paraphrase of this would be, you're kidding me. You know who I am. You don't need to know my, you don't need to ask my name. You know who I am. Well, why do you want to know my name? The man replied. And then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means the face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Now, I think that with another like feathery touch on his hip, 
the Lord heals him. I mean, there's still pain. He's still got a limp, but he has had an honest, authentic encounter with the one true and living God. So my question is this, how do you know? I mean, you go to church. How do you know? You read the Bible. How do you know? You say your prayers. How do you know if you've had an authentic encounter with the one true and living God? Well, number one, it's deeply personal. It's not surface stuff. Surface stuff is just fake church going. You got to go. You got to go. I mean, superficiality never gets you to the supernatural. And so you go deeply and you go personal. It's not about religion. That's on the surface. It's not about do's and don'ts. That's on the surface. It's beneath the surface. It's deeper and it is beyond religion. It is relationship. And number two, you are blessed with a new identity. When you encounter God, he tells you who you truly are and gives you a victory mindset. And now your mind knows That he's actively at work to your good, making everything, no matter how it appears, no matter what things seem, God, you know that your God is out ahead of you working to your good. You know, no matter how ugly this life experience feels, you know that your God makes everything beautiful and in time you're going to win. It's going to turn out all right. It's going to be all good. You know that your God is able to do immeasurably, abundantly, exceedingly more than all you can ask or even imagine according to his power that's at work within you. You just know it's going to be win after win. It's still a battle. It's still a struggle. There's still that touch on the hip and it's agonizing and it's painful, but you get to walk away. You get to limp away in victory. And number three, God will meet you at the, at the point of your weakness. Now, as I've I tried, I guess I got to meet you guys in this section uh, this week. I'll start with you guys next week. Feel the hug. Um, and as I greeted you, some of you told me your point of weakness. For some of you, it was physical. I mean, it was something bad going on in your health. For, for others of you, it was... Um, relational, some, some pain in your marriage or in your parenting. For others, it was a difficulty of a challenge in the life of someone you love. Well, if I want everybody, I want everyone right now to begin to think about your point of weakness. Where is it? I, you know, you don't have to brag to me about your strength. I won't brag to you about my strength. I won't, don't need to hear about your high points. I won't tell you my high points. The way we meet with God, the way he finds us, absolutely irresistible is when we open up humbly about our weakness. So to understand what's happening with Jacob, we got to do a couple of flashbacks. And um, Deb and I don't like flashbacks in movies because when we wake up, we don't know what's going on. (laughs) Um, You know, there 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 are people in your life and you may invite him. You, you love Central. You love what the Lord is doing here. You, you love Jesus and what he's up to in your life. Um, and so you want them to come with you. You love them. You care about them. And you invite them to come. They say, you know what? I'm, I, I really am not into organized religion, which is good for us because we're the most disorganized church I know of. <laughs> um, but they may say something like, you know, but I am into spirituality. My, my spirituality makes 
centers me, makes me feel centered. <laughs> that means they haven't had a, an encounter with God. Because in this story, when you have an encounter with God, he knocks you off balance. He staggers you. You're stumbling around, don't know if you can steady yourself. God loves to take us out of our balance so he can realign us with the likeness of Jesus. People, they'll say, you know what? Um, that church deal, I, I don't know, but I am a spiritual person because my spirituality grounds, grounds me, really. In this story, God cuts the legs out of a guy, takes him to the ground, holds him down, pins him there, wrestles with him. You see, you know, you will know you've had an authentic encounter with the one true and living one when, when you meet God, the ninja. <laughs> I mean, it's, an encounter with God is more like a WWE Smackdown. Because change needs to happen. You've got yourself in this mess and now God wants to get you realigned so your miserable mess goes like to marvelous and majesty in the goodness of God. So, so here's a flashback in Jacob's life to help us understand what he went through. Uh, I call it sibling rivalry. Jacob has a brother named Esau. They are twins but Esau was born first. In fact, the wild thing is, this wrestler, Jacob, has a grip on Esau's heel as he comes out of the womb. He was wrestling from birth. He competed with his brother on every level. And repeatedly, he lied to him. He deceived him. He stole from him. He manipulated him. And finally, there was one last betrayal, that was it. His brother was like, Esau was like, you know what? You're never going to change. You're never going to stop lying. You're never going to stop deceiving. You're, you're never going to stop trying to manipulate me and control me. I'm done with you. I'm going to kill you. Serious. I'm going to kill you. And so, so Jacob runs for his life. Runs to a new place. Runs to a far place. Thinking that in a new place, in a far place, there'll be a new guy, a different guy. But have you ever tried that? On your bucket list is some place to visit, and you think, man, if I could just go there, I would be happy. And you go there only to find that where that there you are. You want to move into a new house, you want to go to a new town, wherever you go, there you are. And that's what happened to Jacob. He, I mean, he wanted to prove himself, and so he worked hard. He amassed wealth, and then he meets the woman who would become the love of his life, and he would do anything. She is so beautiful. If I could just wake up looking at her beautiful face every morning, I'll do anything. I'll pay any price. And he worked 14 years to make Rachel, to receive her hand in marriage. And when that wasn't it, when he looked at her morning after morning and still empty on the inside, oh, let's have babies. Eleven sons. He gave birth to a football team. <laughs> and it wasn't enough. And so you know what he's going to do? Maybe I should go home. And so he heads, he gets all of his herds and all of his flocks and all of his wealth and both of his wives and their servants and his eleven sons and they go for home. 
But as they get close to home, he hears that his brother Esau is coming out to meet them and he's leading an army, armed army with 400 soldiers. And Jacob's like, I know it. He's been waiting all these years, 15, 20 years, and he's going to kill me. Uh, there's no way. So here's what he does. If you read his, go home. And in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, first book in the Bible, and it's huge, huge, huge because it's a lens through which we are able to understand everything else that happens in Scripture. Chapters 25 through 33, nine chapters, encompass all of Jacob's life. But here's what happens. You'll see that he's a schemer and a manipulator, a control freak his whole life. And so he's scheming in this text, a real slick plan. Here's what he does. He takes one-third of all his wealth, flocks and herds, servants, and sends them straight to Esau as a gift. And then he takes one-third of his herds and possessions, his family, sends them off to the left of Esau's position, and then takes the final third and sends them off to the right. And he says to himself, hey, if he attacks one or two of these groups, I can flee to the other group and escape, at least with some of what I got. And that's where we find him, waiting in a campground to find out what Esau's going to do. But he should have been waiting to find out what God's going to do. Because that's, that's when God jumps him. Here's what the scripture says. The man, capital M, man, came and wrestled Jacob to the ground. Have you ever had a deeply personal encounter with God? Well, maybe I should ask that in the negative. Do you, do you know how to tell when you, you are disengaged from God? Number one symptom of spiritual sickness is that you stop or you haven't started giving out of your finances to the Lord. Number one symptom of, of fake Christianity. Number two is that you either have not begun to serve the Lord or you've stopped serving the Lord. Number two symptom of whatever Christianity. And number three is that you've pulled back from your relationships with other Christ followers. Because scripture says, how can you say you love God if you aren't in loving relationships with his other children? And so there's Jacob on the ground, rolling around. There's grabbing, there's grasping, there's grappling. He's wrestling with God. So to understand fully what's going on here in Jacob, we've got to have flashback number two, which is dad damage. Two boys, twins, Esau, the older by moments, but their dad, Isaac, loved Esau the most, loved Esau the best, loved Esau with all his heart so there was nothing but leftovers for Jacob. Oh, Esau, man, you're so awesome. I love you. I'm so proud of you. Way to go. Jacob, get in here and clean up this uh, dishes. That was Jacob's life. All he cared about was getting his dad's approval. He would do anything. He'd lie to his brother. He'd steal from his brother. He would deceive his brother anything to get his dad's notice. And he never, never got it. He never heard from his dad, I love you. Never heard from his dad, I'm so proud of you. Never heard from his dad, you mean the world. All those words and all that emotion and all that approval and all that love, it all went to Esau and it wrecked something deep inside Jacob. It killed him. 
until he does kind of a weird thing. Isaac, his dad, um, his eyesight is, is gone. His hearing is, uh, is failing. He's, he's sick and knows that he's going to die. And so he wants to put the father's blessing, that means whoever gets the father's blessing gets two-thirds of the family estate. The other guy just gets leftovers, and Isaac wants to bless Esau with the father's blessing. He wants to say to him, man, you have been the best thing that's ever happened in my life. I love you with all my heart. Uh, I, you're the most important thing in the world to me. I'm so proud of you. I love you. And, and I like you the best, and I'm going to give you the most. Well, Jacob would do anything to hear those words. So he decides to trick his dad. He tr- decides to deceive his dad. He knows he's going to get caught. Why would he do this when he knows he's going to get found out? Everybody knows. And when he gets found out, he's not even going to get a third. He's going to get squat, and his brother Esau is going to get everything. Why would he do it? Because even under false pretense, even if it wasn't meant for him, even if his dad would renege on it later, he wanted to hear his dad say, oh, son, I'm so proud of you. I love you. You mean the world to me. I love you the best, so I'm going to give you the most. Even if it meant having to run away. He knew his brother would go ballistic. He knew this was a straw that would, would change everything. He did it anyway because all he cared about was getting his father's approval. And Esau goes ballistic and once to kill him. And so Jacob runs for his life, comes home, and now is believing again. Esau's still out for his life. Here's what the word of God says. Now you got to see Jacob and the Lord down in the dirt, rolling around. The Lord's got him pinned down. They're like, their heads are close together in a clinch. And the Lord gives Jacob three clues as to who he truly is. When the man saw that he would not win that match, that's when he barely, like with a feather. Now, Jacob, when he looks down at his opponent's move and notices that like just with a feathery touch, he rips violently that hip out of socket, he knows, oh my gosh, this is not a man. This is supernatural power that's being restrained. God is holding back his power. The Lord is limiting himself. And Jacob gets clue number two, but uh, number one, but clue number two, when this happens, something goes off inside Jacob, changes everything for the rest of his life. The, the man, the Lord said, let me go for dawn is breaking. Jacob gets it. Who else but the Lord? If you look him in the face, holy, holy, holy God who dwells in unapproachable light, who is robed in majesty and splendor, who else but God would say, if you see my face in the light of day, you're dead. Now he gets it and something goes off inside him. This is clue number two. Here's what happens. Jacob's like, please tell me your name. And the Lord's like, you, you know who I am. You know I'm your God. You know I'm the Lord. 
You know I'm restraining my power just to hold you down and get you to think about your life and get you to think about me. And and the next thing that comes out of Jacob's mouth, this dude is out of his mind, crazy, insane. Because any rational person would say, let me go, let me go, let me go. I don't want to die. But look what Jacob says. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. My dad wouldn't do it. My father wouldn't, uh, my brother wouldn't do it. My uncle Laban, with whom he worked in that far off land, wouldn't do it. I don't know that my wife is capable of doing it. My kids are often disrespectful. I want a blessing from God. I want a blessing from the Lord. Bless me, but I ain't letting go. And then he tightens his grip. I mean, he's in excruciating pain, but he gets a tightest grip. He holds on to the Lord for dear life. How many of you feel like you believed in God your whole life? Some of you, a bunch of you. How many of you, once you came into a personal relationship with the Lord, you, you did your best, you tried to obey him in your life? Some of you, okay. Here's what I want you to know. You can believe in God all your life. You can try to obey God all your life, but you only truly meet God when you realize that he is your life. He's your breath. When you realize you don't deserve the good things that happen, that it's God. In fact, if you deserve anything, you deserve to go to hell. That's me. And it's good for me to remind myself that Jesus wrestled his way up on a cross. And Jesus held on for dear death to pay for my sins as my substitute. And the only reason I have the life I have is because of Jesus and his work in my behalf. He is my life. So he is my joy. He is your life. So he is your peace. He is your life, so he is your hope. He is your life, so he is your confidence. He is your life, so he is your assurance. He is your life, so he is your love. Here's what happens. The man, the Lord said, your name will no longer be cheater, liar, deceiver, manipulator, control freak. Now you will be called Israel, God wrestler. You have wrestled with God and come through. Jacob. Jacob has this incredible, authentic encounter with God, and you can too, and I do as well. And remember the attributes of an authentic encounter? One, it's deeply personal. Two, you are blessed with a victory uh, mindset. You know you're going to win. You know it's all going to be good. You know he's making it beautiful and it's time. And number three, you meet God at the point of your weakness. And for you, Jesus went first. God was at his ultimate weakness on the cross. Jesus surrendered his life and took all the wrath of God on him. So God would never be angry with you. If you believe that Jesus is God who died for your sins and God, ra- and God raised from the dead, 
God will never judge you because Jesus took all the judgment of God. He was in such a weakened state. He would not fight off the judgment, would not fight off the anger, would not fight off the violence of God. He took it all on himself. All the condemnation of God, he absorbed. Jesus would not let go of the cross. He wrestled himself there and hung on for dear death. To sin. And then God raised him from the dead. And his victory over death, that's yours. His triumph over the grave, his unstoppable conquering power, that's mine. I get to live in the triumphant work of Jesus. And if you believe in him as Lord and Savior, if you surrender to him, you get to live in it as well. And then the Lord, he's got Jacob pinned down. He's got his mouth to his ear, his hips out of joint. He's still holding him down because he's failing. He's fighting like a wild animal. And he, and he blesses him there. That's what scripture says. The Lord blessed him there. Now, blessings then were, were always spoken. And everybody needs somebody in their life who comes up to them, looks them in the eye and says, you know what? You're awesome. You're wonderful. Full of wonder. You're incredible. You're amazing. Every little girl needs somebody who says, you're beautiful. Every little boy needs somebody who says, man, you are a hero. You're a superhero. You're awesome. Blessings are spoken and words have power. I wonder, we're not told in the text what the Lord says to Jacob as a blessing, but I wonder if the blessing spoken was not this. Down on the ground, Ear, mouth to his ear, I love you. I love you more than anything in the world. I'm so proud of you. You've done so well. You're incredible. You're amazing. I love you with all my heart. I love you the best. So I'm giving you the most. I love you the most. So I'm giving you the best. That's not the Lord's blessing for Jacob. If you're willing to wrestle with him, that's the Lord's blessing on you. He loves you the most to give you the best. He loves you the best to give you the most. He, he, he has such respect for you. He loves you with all of his heart and it's all evidenced in the person of his son Jesus who died for your sins and rose rose from the dead. Bam. Just like that. The Lord is gone. Jacob picks himself up, wipes the dirt off. Mm. You know what I believe? I believe the Lord with another feathery light touch healed that hip. It still bore the pain. He still walked with a limp, but he gets up on his feet feels it back in his socket, and then I believe he dances away, knowing I've been approved, I've been blessed, I am loved, I have great value to my God. Now he dances with a limp, but he dances because he believes the blessing of God. And I'll tell you something, you'll dance out of this place too. Maybe with the limp of your weakness, but you'll dance out of this place too if you believed that you are highly valued, 
that you are deeply loved, that God loves you best and he'll give you the most, that God loves you most and he'll give you the best. And he's done that in Jesus. Would you stand with me, please? Would you pray with me? God, what an amazing, amazing God you are. And I don't know why you had me change the text for my message this weekend, but I believe that there are people here who need to know that they are deeply loved and you're aching to bless them if they'll just humble themselves and meet you at the point of their weakness. I mean, how can healing happen if we don't show you and admit our weakness? If we don't stop trying to control everything, manipulate everything. Lord, we all, we all want to have an authentic encounter with you. You are our life, and we love you, and we praise you. We want to be as deeply personal with you as we can, so strip away our religion. We want to see you, God. We want to know you, God. We want to love you as you have loved us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.